Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. In this episode, you will meet Matt Bryce, founder of Federal Grill. Matt's passion for treating people right has led to impressive growth at his restaurants. In this episode, you will learn how his mission to improve the lives of everyone he touches has helped him build a company with a learning culture grounded in values like empathy. Matt, I want to thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. Welcome to Building Texas Business. I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you very much. So I always like to start with uh, you're the founder of Federal Grill, uh, Federal Grill Hospitality Group. Tell us what Federal Grill is known for. Well, we're scratch kitchen, all made in-house, uh, every dressing, every sauce, you name it, fresh fish every day. And then we're also known for our whiskey side. So we have about four to 500 different types of whiskeys. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. We're an old-fashioned bar. We make three different types of old-fashioned. We have a barrel-aged old-fashioned, which everybody loves. is my favorite. Okay. Uh, then we do the flaming old-fashioned, where we light it on fire, your choice of bourbon. And then we do our smoking gun old-fashioned, which is really unique and neat. And so we use like a cherry wood uh, that kind of, you know, smokes up the box that we bring it to you. And then you open the box and it smells like a campfire. It's really delicious. So, and mostly, you know, we're known for our relationships. We're really tight into our communities. We make sure we're in the community, especially, you know, where we live. We have a place where our kids go to school. Uh, we're very active in the community with schools and doing whatever we can for donations for the kids and whatnot. So it's, it's really a community that we're trying to build here with Federal Grow. Sounds great. So it's not just your normal restaurant. It's not in addition to community, just a gathering place. Mm-hmm. Yes. The managers, which we don't like to use the title, I like to use leaders You know that we're hiring, are really genuinely hospitable people, right? Everybody, I love everybody we work with. And we talk about this all the time is just create the experience. The food's got to be great. The atmosphere's got to be great. It's got to be fun. It's got to be clean, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you got to create the experience, you right. know, like norm. Right, cheers, right. <laughs> when you walk in, you want everybody to knows who that is, right? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, I think I can identify with that at a few places in town, including yours. Uh, so we were talking before we started recording, and you're and you're talking about you know what the restaurant is to you and what you want it to be. The passion you bring to it's uh, you know evitable. Um, tell us what inspired you to get into the restaurant and hospitality business to begin with. Well, at first it wasn't inspired. Uh, I had to work when I was 12. I didn't come from much money, great parents and all that stuff, a good, you know, a life for sure. But I did have to work at a paper route and, and wash dishes. And then that family called Lucky Strike, it's in my hometown in Chicopee, Massachusetts, uh, really gave me my start. And they taught me from dishwashing to cutting fish and then starting to cook and all this stuff when all the way through high school. They're the most amazing family. But what I learned most about them is how to treat people. It wasn't so much about the restaurant. Everybody that came in to see these people, they were just so hospitable, shaking everybody's hand. It was one big family. That's where it stuck. That's where I knew 
I said, I want to do what these guys are doing. And it was about the relationships in the community that they built that was just so amazing. The food was just food, right? And all that right. stuff. But people came for them. So anyways, that's where the passion started. And then it kind of just stuck. You know, I tried leaving the business one time and I was miserable. I was making great money at the time. But at the same time, it wasn't never about money. It right. wasn't. It was about the passion. So I always came back to it. Just stuck with it. How did you get end up in Houston? So uh, I was the general manager of Ruth Chris Steakhouse in New York City when I was 26. And so loving life, all this stuff. Well, a gentleman approached me out of Milwaukee. And he offered me a partnership. And he said, listen, I want to open up a restaurant. We tried to do it in New York. He wanted to open up a steakhouse in New York. And finally, after saying no a million times, I said, yes, long story short, uh, we never got it open. Um, and unfortunately, it was like $600,000 lost and all this good stuff. We made a commitment. At that time, he needed help in Milwaukee. He said, do you want to just help me? I have eight other restaurants and nobody running them. I did that. But in the meantime, he had one restaurant here in Houston that yeah. wasn't doing so well. And it was on McKinney. And so I'd fly back and forth and I fell in love with Houston. So what happened is we found a spot location here. And it was on Post Oak Boulevard, and I moved down here, and the rest is history. I got out of it. That was in 08. But I met my wife walking in there, too. So she okay. was a patron and all that stuff, and she comes from a very big family here. It's awesome. And I got out of that in 09, one year later, because I wanted to do some on my own. And that's kind of where I landed here, and this is my family ever since, and this is home. That's great. Yeah, love it here. So you've experienced a lot of growth at Federal Grill here recently, uh, which is you know, remarkable in any time, but especially the last two years of what's going on in our world that you've kind of had this hyper growth. What do you attribute that to? Well, um, I opened during COVID. So the story of COVID really... I say you, you got a lot of good press out of that. We got a lot of good press. You know, it was the most trying time of my life for sure. Uh, my wife and I woke up one morning about four weeks into the shutdown and we we're getting calls from employees can't afford rent, all this stuff. And, you know, I truly believe that if you're in a position of power, I'm not saying I'm powerful, but when you're an owner and you have the ability to do something, you need to do it for your people. It's not about our business. We would have been fine. Right. It was not about that. But yeah, so when we reopened, uh, we just made a commitment. We said we're doing it. And uh, we got a lot of backlash, but we had a ton of following, huge. That was our tipping point, to be honest. I mean, what we did, people, I didn't know what we were doing at the time. Right. You know, so... Yeah, how could you, right? I just didn't. We were just going to open quietly. But then I got a phone call um, on a Thursday before we were going to open up that weekend, and nobody knew. And the phone call was from Michael Barry, who was a radio talk show host. Sure, right? I know Michael. I answered the phone. I thought it was him. I was jumping in the shower. And I, and I answered the phone. I'm like, hey, Michael, what's going on? It was Ramon, his um, uh, guy that runs his whole studio. Right. And says, hey, Matt, get somewhere quiet. We got you on live air in 30 seconds. That was the, <laughs> oh no, do I take this or do I not take this? Once I took it, that's where it all blew up. So that was a tipping point. And we never stopped. And we kept going and kept going and kept going. And people knew why we were doing it. You know, we were doing it for the community. We were feeding every police officer. We were sending out food to everywhere. We just said, we're all in. You know, if we're not making any money, so what? Just keep moving forward. And the whole team, we said, listen, if you don't feel comfortable coming in because you don't want to get sick, don't come in. You got your job. Don't worry about it. You know? You collect your money or whatnot. When you feel comfortable, come on in. We just kept going. And that's that's a big deal. When people saw that, we had people, people come in. We never were understaffed because everybody wanted to work with us. It was really neat. That's real, I mean, in, in your business, not being understaffed in the last couple of years mm -hmm. is huge. Because I, 
I know, you know, we have clients in, in uh, like you in hospitality that, for example, have demand for lunch service to this day, but can't staff it. I know. It's crazy. I, I, I really, I don't understand it. The, when I say lower and more casual restaurants have a little bit of a harder time than higher end restaurants because they tend to make more money at our restaurants. Sure. Right. So if you're at a Chili's or something like that, it is a little bit harder when they were getting paid, you know, by the government too. So they're, they're making more sitting at home. Right. Right. So that was a little bit hard. We didn't have that. So we were kind of fortunate there. So it sounds like you've done a very good job building a strong team. What are some of the things that you do when you're in the interview process or, or have your leaders, as you call them, uh, interviewing for their stores? I mean, are there characteristics or traits that you're looking for as you go through the hiring process and how have you set that up? Absolutely. We have a set of core values in our company that we live, breathe everything by and uh, they spell shield. And so actually, in, so it's a sense of urgency, hospitable, integrity, empathy, lifetime learner and discipline. And we live by each one of those. And when we're interviewing somebody, we're using those while I'm speaking to somebody. So before I'm hiring, I'm saying, all right, was he on time, disciplined, take care of themselves, disciplined, you know, all these things. So we're going through it all. Hospitable, obviously, you can check that one off pretty quickly sure. right, or not. So those are the main, main characteristics. But the biggest, they're all the same equal. There's none bigger than the other on, on our core values. But empathy is a big one. I really love it. In the restaurant industry, I didn't grow up that way, okay? After I left Lucky Strike, my original job, I was in kitchens for the next 15 years or so, and I worked seven days a week, you know, that old school way. I worked for chefs that would just yell at you until whatever, you know, right. I just knew how to take. It's not what I wanted for anybody else. So we added empathy. It was actually our last one we added. And I look for that in anybody that's working with us because I believe that the empathetic leader is truly the most powerful leader, you know? I don't like people degrading somebody or whatnot. It's always sit down, have a talk, have a discussion. So when, that's what I'm looking for in an interview is can this person, all we do is take care of people. That's it. Right. Our employees come first, not our guests. Sorry, guests. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but, but that's the thing, right? If you take, and despite the industry, any good leader, I think, will say, if you take care of your people, then they will take care of the customer. That's it. Right? Yeah, we don't have to worry about them. We worry about, we worry about our you know, our employees. And I think the trap people can fall into as a leader or business owner is if you are so focused on the customer and lose sight of your people, you're not going to be successful. You have high turnover, disenfranchised employees, and I just don't know how you can be successful that way. I truly agree. You know, we work constantly with the leadership team in our office about what can we do next for employees always. So we're like, we're talking about our growth at two and a half years ago, we had one restaurant, now we're going on five. And in that time, we're adding all these people into the mix, right? So COO, CFO, marketing, HR. Well, this is extremely important. So now we have created the CLO, Chief Leadership Officer, C-level all okay. the way to the top. And it's going to be Christina, who has been our current CFO, but she's going to be going into the CLO. And what we're doing is just teaching classes, helping people better their lives that don't know how. Right now, we started teaching English classes at our restaurants. So we have a teacher that comes in and teaches those that are in the kitchen or in front, whoever wants to brush up on their English because they don't have that ability. I mean, they yeah. do, but they sure. don't know it, right? And the only way to get better and better here is really got to learn English. And then we're teaching all these other classes. So her job is going to be to better the lives of everybody, 
And so she's going to have classes and meetings and all this stuff. And it's the true leadership part. So it's, I'm so excited over this. I mean, that's remarkable that you would be that thoughtful to offer that. Cause the other part of that is, yeah, your people may have other resources to go learn, but how convenient are they? And the more convenient you make it, the more likely people are going to do it. Listen, I look at Google, right? They created something pretty special. They have a campus, right? Dentist there, doctor there, childcare there. We really think about this stuff all the time. We're not big enough yet. We will, hopefully. Right. Not will, not hopefully. We will. When? When. And we'd love to have things like that to offer. So we talk about what else can we do? What else can we do? Of course, we all have the basics of, you know, we're working on healthcare right now. And Morgan Stanley we use for 401k and all this other stuff. That's great. But then what can you do extra for everybody? So we're really trying to figure this out, and we want to make sure that we give back as, possible, as much as possible. So we started by talking about hiring and what you look for. Mm-hmm. Everything you're talking about you know, reeks of culture. So how would you describe the culture that you got there at Federal Grill, and what are the things that you think are important to do to continue to maintain it? Absolutely. Being on the same page is number one. So with all of our meetings that we have, we always, always bring leadership, what we've learned for that week, because we meet weekly. And everybody has to share around the table what they're learning. And then the stronger we can be and the more that we can educate each other. And again, I talk about this all the time. A lot of the stuff that we're reading, you know, I'm reading, uh, I love this book, by the way. It's Obsessed or Be Average by Grant Cardone. If you haven't read it, it's a lot okay. of fun. He's, he's, a, he's a talker. But, uh, and then there's Ed Milet, which is Max Out Your Life. And, and then there's all these other books. You know, of course, Think and Grow Rich is the best of the best, been around forever. But we're all reading different books, but they're all kind of saying the same thing, right? So when you talk about culture, that is our culture. A lot of times we're not even talking about federal. We, we talk about federal on an operations level and financials and all this other stuff. But during this meeting, it's really for everybody there to build our culture to say, man, this place is a lot more than a restaurant. Yeah. All right. And then we bring it to the restaurant levels and we have those meetings at the restaurant levels as well. And so then I think I told you part of the culture, too, is we created Federal University. Right. Right. So exciting. So in different segments, we're going to do it once a month. We'll have different speakers come and all this stuff in terms of motivation, culture, leadership. What are we doing in the business? So it goes all the way to, you know, dishwasher, bussers and all this other stuff. We don't want it to stop at our management because that's what happens in a lot of these companies, right? Right. It just doesn't trickle down all the way. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but at least we're trying something here to make sure that culture stays strong. Talk to Johnny Caraba about this because when I met with Johnny, you know, I had one restaurant and I asked Johnny, I said, Hey, what's the, what was your biggest issue with expansion? And he said, 100% culture. Yeah. And that is the hardest thing to do is to keep that culture as you grow. So that's where my emphasis is mostly on, too, is how do we keep this strong culture and have people really, truly understand that we care about who they are? That's good. Great stuff. So shift a little bit. And you talked a little bit about uh, what the pivot point and turning point for the company was. It was COVID. What are some of the what were some of the challenges and lessons you learned going through the last two years of this pandemic and running a restaurant? Well, these challenges were different challenges, right? You could talk about some of the supply chain. That's a big challenge. Sure. Right? Those are common. You know, I think Tillman was on TV yesterday again, giving people updates on it. It's getting better, you know, but still that was a big, big challenge. You couldn't get 
you couldn't get straws. You couldn't get your basic things that we just took for granted, right? And we're constantly saying, how do you not have straws? Or how do you not have to-go's? Because to-go? right. everybody, our whole lives depended on to-go's. Right, the to-go orders. We couldn't right. get paper. <laughs> so um, those were some unique challenges. But you had to learn to pivot, right? And we, all, and we did. We had to figure out a new way of business. Um, other challenges, you know, was getting people, we didn't lose anybody during the pandemic. It's amazing. But there were a lot of people that had to sit out for a little while because they weren't sure what this thing was. Right. And so, you know, you could only open as many people as you had. So if you have one server, you know, you had to just take as much as you could with one server. Sure. You know, I'm waiting on tables. I don't care. I was there every single day. Right. You know? <laughs> so those are different challenges, you know, but you have to prepare for it too. We were in a good position when we moved into this, when we had to shut down financially. So we're very, very blessed to be able to open right back up. But moving forward, like I said before, helped a lot of these challenges because we're, that's why we're not in the position that you see a lot of other restaurants in. And I feel for them very badly because how you just got to keep moving forward. Right. But there's, you know, other challenges, that was probably it is the supply chain. And of course, now with the increase in inflation is just destroyed a lot of these companies. Yeah, the cost, I mean, I hear others say costs are up 25, 30% oh, yeah. uh, across the board. Yes, crab, king crab, 100%. You know, chicken is over 40%. Wow. My chicken that we use, which is some of the best chicken, it's crazy. $8 a pound. That doesn't, it used to be four, okay? Right. Four fifty. But anyway, so, and then beef is up across the board, 30%. So it's been really trying. Now, Luckily, the Carabas of the world and us at Federal and, you know, the higher end restaurants, we can raise our prices a little bit to make sure that we take care of that where it's harder. I use Chili's as an example. You don't want to go into Chili's and have to get pay $50 a head. Right. So that's their struggle, too. So we're still struggling, too. you got to stay ahead of it. You know, we have a we have a controller who buys for us. So he has his eye on the ball all the time on, hey, that price is going up. Let's buy here and there. Not everybody has that ability. So. We were able to stay ahead of it. Sounds like very, going back to your core values, very disciplined approach about mm-hmm. how you're managing and, and watching cost. Yes, and especially during that time. So uh, you grew up, you said, in a kitchen, you know, working in a restaurant. So uh, you have become an impressive leader of an organization. How would you describe your leadership philosophy uh, and how did you learn those things along the way? I had great parents, first off. You know, they taught me great values on how to treat people, that's for sure. So I give them a lot of respect there. But I also had the right doors open for me, and I walked through them whenever I saw them. So the opportunities working with that guy in Milwaukee and then moving down here, working at Ruth Chris as a GM when I was 26, the busiest restaurant, that taught me relationships, right? Mm-hmm. So Chili's, when I worked with them for four and a half years, they taught me systems, Right. Okay. And then that uh, first job taught me about people. And then Ruth Chris taught me how to deal with great executive relationships and all this other stuff. So kind of roll that all into one. And I just picked the right, the right places to work. If, you know, I've worked in a uh, sous chef and kitchens in Cape Cod and worked under great people. I just life experiences taught me it, you know, and then I, I failed out of college. Uh, I went to go play basketball. I wasn't a great student. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I'm an open book. I had a 1.7 1. GPA, and it is what it is. But I didn't really care about that. It's the self-education part is where I started to grow yeah. big time. So as soon as I understood that there was so much more out there, you just have to go get it. And I started reading and watching these podcasts, right, and watching some people that are more successful than you. 
and I have a thousand names. And I think that's really where I learned that too. That's a great lesson. I mean, I, you know, most people think go to a big name college, MBA or, you know, all this other stuff to be successful. And that can be true, Mm -hmm. but it's also the opposite can be true, but that's only if you're committed, I think disciplined, uh, and have some ambition. Yes. And, and see those advantages. I think you're right. You're telling these stories at any one of those moments, you could have felt sorry for yourself or something. Instead, you saw the opportunity and took advantage of it. Absolutely. And I, I tell everybody this too, is what I think I did right was I kept my world big. I kept my circle big. You know, a lot of people that grew up in their hometown, stay in their hometown, all that stuff, nothing wrong with it. You know, that's different, but you tend to stay in your circle. Right. All right. And I think in the biggest thing that I, try to teach is tell everybody stay out of your comfort zone if you're comfortable get out and that's the number one key factor for me that i wrote down i always says stay hungry stay out of your comfort zone and i always remind myself that if you get comfortable that's complacency so i think growth so happiness is i can go really deep with this but i'm i love this kind of do it happiness is i've been trying to figure out what happiness is for people right right and i know it's different for everybody sure but i know the number one thing that make people happy period is progress. That's it. If you look at it, it's not money, right? It's not, you know, other things it's, it's progress. So maybe you ate right today, right? Progress. Maybe you had a great workout progress. Maybe you got a, you know, a promotion at your job progress that equals happiness, right? So yeah. I'm always looking at these things to say, okay, what can I do for somebody else to get there? And because I, I love this. I mean, I'm living it. I'm sure. Very, very fortunate to be. Well, I think right. to your point, if, especially if you're in charge of and respond, the responsibility of leading an organization, speaking for myself, I want everyone that works here to see an opportunity for growth personally and however, however they define that. And yes. I think you tend to lose the engagement of employees if they don't see that. Yeah. And it, it's and it's not as much about money, right? I think there's books that talk about that. The comp has to satisfy whoever their basic needs, You're right? right? Mm-hmm. But after that, people want to pursue their passions. They want some autonomy in, in the work that they do. And they want to see they're progressing towards something that fulfills them yes. internally. Without a doubt. You know, you don't want somebody that just wants to clock in and clock out. We talk to all the employees all the time. I know I do personally. And I said, what do you want to do? Federal is just a stepping stone. If you want to stay in the business, I'm going to help you with the business. You want to be an architect? Oh, guess what? I know about six or seven architects that I can call for you. Yeah. That's what it's about. This is not, Federal will always be fine. I truly believe that. And as long as everybody understands that in their own businesses, your job is just to help everybody. And that's what our motto is, is, and everybody knows, you could ask anybody in leadership, is to improve the lives of everybody we touch. That's our why. If you listen to Simon Sinek, yep. most of the time, in businesses, you have the how, the what, and the why, right? What do you do? Serve food and all that other stuff. Sure. The how, well, we need utensils, plates, silverware. But why are you doing it? Right. That's the hardest thing that you, most people in a company can't figure out why they're doing it. And our why is truly to improve the lives of everybody we touch. That's it. And so we talk about that all the time. Delivery driver comes in. They had a really tough job. It's noon, we're at lunch, we're getting our butts kicked. You're not going to turn that person away. Offer them a glass of water and say, listen, I need about five minutes, really busy, but just hold on a minute. Because a lot of times what they do is they'll turn them away and then they have to come back. We don't do that, right? So you just treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Simple rule. It really is. Yeah. 
So, yeah, again, I said earlier, I love your energy and passion and your philosophies about that because I can identify with them. Uh, people learn in all kinds of ways, but one of the ways I know for sure we learned is from mistakes or setbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can think about one of those that you've experienced in your journey at Federal, uh, what was it? Uh, what was the low point and, and how did you grow and learn from it? And if you could share that. Of course. Um, when we first opened, I truly thought I knew more than I did. I didn't have ego or anything. I just, maybe it was a little bit. I th- and I wasn't listening to people that were telling me that I should do this and I should do that. And I really thought I knew what I was doing. And come to find out, you know, I should have been listening a little bit more. That's when everything turned for us as well. There was a period of time for that first year and a half that I would actually call my wife. We never not pay payroll, but it was tough. And I'd call her and it would be delivered on Friday in a bag with all the checks. And I'd call her and say, hey, can you go intercept payroll? I need to go. I had a $500 watch in mm-hmm. Citizen. I had to go pawn it to pay payroll. And she had a handbag. I said, honey, can I? And she, was, she was the best partner in the world. Right. So Jen, I love her. And so she gave me the handbag. I pawned the handbag and we made payroll. And so it was very, very difficult for a little while. You're we were on a string there. We were paying right? all of our bills and all that stuff, but we were just Barely making it. Um, but then when I met Johnny Carrava, my wife called Johnny and said, Hey, Johnny, can, do you have time to meet with us? And he's just amazing, right? So he says, sure. be here in 30 minutes. I'm like, done. And we ran right over there. And we sat up with him in his, in, in his office, and he was having a little bit of trouble with Grace's, same with us, you know, with Federal. And we just had aha moments. It was very sad. We were all kind of crying. And it was really rough. But we came to true honesty and said, you got to figure this out. So we decided to all go back to our VIPs, friends, family. What, do, what should we have on the menu? What do you like? What don't you like? We were playing Frank Sinatra. And man, I love Frank. Yeah. But nobody wants to listen to Frank. It's boring <laughs> right. in the restaurant. Maybe if you're at a high, high, high end, right? So then that was Johnny. He's like, what the heck? I won't yeah. tell the Rainbow you Room in New York, maybe. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I won't tell you how he said it, but he's like, you should probably get that out. I, I, know, I know Johnny well enough to know exactly how he said it. <laughs> <laughs> so we went back. We invited 10 people with us, and we sat in the middle of our dining room on a Thursday night. It was the most boring experience we've ever had. That week is where it all changed. So we started listening, as we should have. We added more... Um, I guess more energy for sure. We added TVs. We added fun music. My wife worked on thousands of uh, songs that you could just, you know, dance to a little bit while you're at your table. So it was really neat. So that turnaround was a big deal. It was, I wish the other part was, I just wish I would have moved faster and sooner. And that was my biggest fault. I mean, I think that's a pretty consistent theme. I think uh, that people will say, I wish I'd when there was a negative or not working, I'd made I'd move quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I hear that probably the most in the firing process. Yes, when you know you have someone yes. that doesn't fit your culture, doesn't fit the purpose or why of your organization, and you mm-hmm. move too slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, experiences with that as well. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That is that is the cancer of your business. Just that one person. Yep. And hire you know hire slow and fire fast. I hate firing anybody. I don't even like using the word. I know. But what I say that all of our leaders, I say, listen, give everybody everything you've got before you let them go. Cause it's important. We're talking about human beings here. Absolutely. Right. These are people. So don't just quick fire because, but yes, some people should. And I've hired, I've held on to people way too long. We all have. I mean, my other big mistake, huge 
was up until a year and a half ago. This is literally a year and a half ago. I like people so much <laughs> that you'd be sitting here and you've never been, let's say you're applying for a job for general manager at one of the restaurants. And I like you, great personality. This guy's got charisma. He's just, he's it. And I'll hire you. You never had experience. Right. Because I like people way too much. And then I'd set them up for failure. It's called the wrong people in the wrong seat. Right. Right. And then we have to have that talk say, uh, you know what? Maybe we'll have you step down over here. That's a horrible thing to do. It is. So I started reading books on hiring. Actually, Christina, our chief leadership officer, uh, gave me books because she said, you need to stop liking people right. so much and read. <laughs> so I did. But that was a tough one, too, because... It's, uh, it's it, me, I, I'm, I'm laughing because, because we've all experienced it. Uh, and I've had a previous guest on the podcast tell similar stories about the liking people too much and not being in one. He said, look, I'm really not that good at hiring. I have to have a team around me because I like everybody. Yes. And that's part of your job as a, I think once you rise to CEO and leader, I mean, you are a people person by nature typically, and you are going to like them. Yes. Uh, but it, it was a neat way to look at it. And I, I look at myself, yeah, we, we like people too much sometimes, and that can lead to bad hires. It, it um, certainly does. Now we have a proven process that we use. And, yeah, we're still going to make some bad hires. But all four, minimum four, people have to say yes. If there's one no, it's a no. There there's go. no arguing, no nothing. Because we've all worked together long enough now in this level where we all understand what we're looking for and our core values. And, you know, just people that you want to work with in nature. Do, yeah. do I want to be with this person every day? Because that's what's going to happen in our office side anyways. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're learning from our mistakes, and that's the biggest thing that we can do. And the other thing you said in that, in that piece was uh, I found interesting. Yeah, there's that tension between empathy and firing fast, right? Mm-hmm. And I think as an organization, you have to be comfortable that you have done your part to give them the resources to be successful. Mm-hmm. And then not that that decision becomes easier. For sure. Yeah. What we what I always say too is don't mistake empathy for sympathy. It's not. Those yeah. are two different words. And empathy comes with a high standard. As long as they're meeting the high standard, then you know you have the right integrity and that you're doing it correctly. But if they lower their standard and they're hurting the business, you need to act on that. So right. that's why I always tell everybody, just make sure you're not too empathetic like me. <laughs> I'm like, just don't do what I do, okay? Right. But do as I say, not yeah, as I do. Right, right. Not as I do. But um, but there is a standard there, and it isn't sympathy. It is different. Yeah. No, great distinction there. So I like to ask people about mentors they've had along the way and how they've influenced their life. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, like many, you, you probably have more than one. Any you can share with us? Oh, for sure. Uh, there's... First, my first mentor was Mike Dugri. He's the one that gave me my first start in, the, in my first job in my hometown. Okay. Uh, another one is uh, the gentleman from Milwaukee. All right, this guy Johnny and Johnny. Bill Lavasso. Johnny V. Yeah. Yeah. So Johnny is a great guy. I learned the most from him than anybody because he kind of threw me to the fire. I came from all these corporations, right? When I went to him, he has eight restaurants, and I go work with him. He said. All right, we got to figure this out. I got to sell to, close to, you know, it's like all over the place. I learned more doing that because I had never done that before. So it was great to yeah. actually learn a lot from, from what he was doing because I just had to figure it out. So it was great. Uh, Johnny Crab, I always refer to because, you know, I don't meet with him often, but he's a phone call away every time. And if you ever, if you ever need anything, he's that guy. And he's always been there, you know, yeah. as a 
soundboard. Anytime we have our meetings, uh, we usually have them at Carrabba's in the private room. Sure. And he will make an effort to come down and he'll talk to the whole crew with us. And so I just respect that. And I want to, I want to be that for somebody, you know, yeah. so I, I'm always looking to see what I can do to improve people because they, they do that for, for us. So the more people I meet uh, in, in hospitality in Houston, I wonder what the hospitality scene in Houston would look like if there wasn't Johnny Carrabba. I don't think it'd be near as special and successful. No, no he set the standard. Yeah. yeah. That's all I can say. He set the standard. You feel like you're at home, whether you're at his original or you go to Rosie's yeah. on Voss. You just walk in, you feel like family. And that's something that, you know, we love to have at Federal. You know, I know we're doing a great job, but I look at him saying, man, he really did it. It was amazing. So the listeners out here are a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners and people maybe have dreams of being such. And so I always ask to, like to ask the guests, someone like you, what are two or three things, kind of nuggets of wisdom that you might share to kind of pass it uh, forward to someone out there thinking about taking the risk and going and starting their own deal, whatever industry it may be? Sure. Well, the first thing I'll tell you, the most successful people in the world have time to think. Okay, that's the number one thing that I've learned over the course of the last three to four years. The more time you have to think, the more you can think out of the box. Then the second part comes, how do you work on your business, not in your business? Yeah. Okay, that brings you to the, that's where you get to the next level. It's hard. When I had one restaurant, I didn't have that time, right? Right. So I'm not saying everybody's going to start there or you can, but I do believe that you need to take the time, get up early. I get up at 5 a.m. every single day. I'm working out by 6 a.m discipline, right? Right. Then I'm creating more time for myself because I don't take our, my first meeting till about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. So I take the two hours in between to self-educate and to work on things that I want to work on, um, new locations, all this other stuff. So you need that time to kind of think out of the box. So I'd say that's probably the number one thing for sure. Number two, if you're young or not young <laughs> and you're ambitious, <clears throat> first off, you have to rethink and grow rich. There's no successful person, well, not no, but it's a broad right. statement, uh, that has made it a millionaire that hasn't read that book. All right, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill is a big one. And my favorite part about it is, if I were young and I could do this all over again, I would find the person that's best at the industry and I would go work for him for free. I would say, let me work for you for free. I'll do anything you want. I don't care about the money. Then maybe have a side job to try to make a little bit of money or something like that. Because that's education you can't pay for. That's right. I mean, you can't go to any school and learn that. And that is just so huge. And then, obviously, with everything we're saying, another piece is the self-education part. You know, you have to read. You have to watch these podcasts. They're so important. Right. Follow anybody, whoever it is. Just follow somebody more successful than you or somebody you think is. Right. Right? Because that's what brings you up. It's called manifestation. So if you're thinking about it, you're manifesting it, it will happen. I can tell you so many stories. I don't know how I'm where I am right now. <laughs> it's a, unbelievable, unbelievable. Never in a million years did I think that somebody where I came from can be where I am. And I'm nowhere near where I want to be. But I'm happy. But, Love that. You know, but yeah. it's a, it, everything that's been manifesting. So reading, following these people, following, following, you know. And if you say, I want to have that house, I want to have that house, I want to have that house. Again, that's in Think and Grow Rich where it says, look at yourself in the mirror and repeat it. I forget what it says 10 times every morning when you wake up. So I'm hoping these nuggets will help the listeners here, but they've helped me very much. Yeah, no doubt they will. I mean, I think there's been stuff throughout our time recording that has been 
educational and informative for anybody in any industry. And I, I appreciate you sharing uh, the good stuff as well as some of the hard times, because uh, as we all know, we, we learn from both. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's uh, we'll turn to a little bit lighter side. I, you, you mentioned earlier your first, I always ask people their first job. Yours was Lucky Strikes in the Kitchen and a paper route, you said. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, so then you've been here in Houston, uh, what, since 07? Yes, right at the end of 07. So, that, you know, by Texan standards, not too long, but but we're going to adopt you as, as a full-fledged Texan. Appreciate so that. then you have to answer this question, which is, do you prefer Tex-Mex or barbecue? Tex-Mex. All right. Period. Uh, Without a doubt. <laughs> I love barbecue, too, but I prefer Tex-Mex. There you go. No worries. Uh, both are good, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, incorporate any uh, elements of Tex-Mex in your menus? No, there's not that much. Yeah. Well, we threw a little quesadillas on there because you can't be in Texas without something. So there yes, you go. we did. We threw on those. Those are good. <clears throat> what uh, what kind of hobbies do you have? Uh, mostly, you know, love working out. Love pickleball. If you haven't played pickleball, I'm I'm all in. All in. Yeah, okay. So that is the new fad. Man, my my father's been playing. My father's 76, and he's been playing since it came out. He lives in Florida, and yeah. he, he plays seven days a week. And he, he's been trying to get me. I just started last year, and so it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't have a lot of time, so I'll only get out maybe once a week. Yeah. But I'm really, really enjoying that. That's know? great. And, you know, trying to spend a little bit more time with my kids because they're 11 and 9. So at that age, it's a lot of fun. It's very busy. It is. You know, they have sports, 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 schools. And those last few years will, will go fast. Yeah, very much so. But, uh, yeah, I enjoy it, and I just love, I love getting my workouts in. Good. I can identify with that for sure. The uh, last thing is if you could take a sabbatical for 30 days, where would you go? What would you do? Man, I wouldn't do anything for 30 days. I'm not <laughs> listen, And I'm answering that wholeheartedly. I want you to I be. Love, yeah. I love that answer. Anybody that knows me, I don't take vacations longer than three days. <clears throat> I could take a three day and come back. I, my brain doesn't work that way. It'd be so, so difficult. And I guess to answer that, I am going somewhere for six days. Okay. And, and that is a leadership conference. So that's just in who okay. I am. I'm okay. actually going to Miami at the end of this month. And uh, so I'll be at a leadership conference that has mastermind classes. So I'll get to learn. So I that's my sabbatical. I'm, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm if that's what uh, recharges you, then everyone's different. Yes. You got to figure that out, right? Yes, exactly. I can't do the long term. No my, wife, my wife's the same way. Well, that's good. So it works good for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure from, from her then. Why can are we I, going to Europe for a month? Can I ask where you would go? Me? Yeah, it would be a beach somewhere, yeah. uh, and I would say it maybe a lot like you. I, I like the the shorter ones. I can recharge in a couple of days, mm-hmm. but I don't mind a week or so. I'd be I might go crazy over a month. Yeah. Uh, I might want to find out, but but I think <laughs> what I read from you is there's some anxiety about that, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, but you know Maldives or some crazy exotic yes. beach I think would be amazing uh, and just kick back for oh, a yeah. period of time. I wouldn't mind that and, as well for a few days. And of course, uh, the the coast in Italy. Yeah, the, the, the Amalfi. Yeah. That's where my wife wants to go. Yeah. That's, I got, that's on our destination. Yeah, I think every woman does. So I know that's not going to be a three-day, so I'm going to have to figure that one out, but I can probably take that for a little well, longer. You're building, <laughs> you sound like you're building a team that is going to allow you to do it. I am, and they, sure. they're just amazing. Can't do it without them, and it's been, an, it's been a great road these last few years. It's been amazing. Well, great. Congratulations on the success. I know it will continue. Uh, love being a patron at your restaurants. Uh, and most importantly, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on Building Texas Business and, and uh, sharing your story with us. Thanks. It's an honor to be on. You know, I love 
I love what you're doing. Please keep doing it. I mean, it's great for everybody to watch. So thank you for having me here. You got it. Take care. Thank you. You too. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.